1: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Hello Sydney. how are you?
0: Hello Philip, how are you? Uh,
1: I'm okay, I'm surviving the uh, three most terrifying words in a parent's vocabulary, teacher training day so there are um, <laughs> two very loud and excitable six-year-olds running around my house at the moment so if you do hear and um, some whoops and uh, screams and squeals of delight um, it'll be them uh, not me very much you, not me. you mean they
0: didn't want to sit Quietly and listen to the pod. That's, that's a shock.
1: Yeah, sitting quietly is a really, 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 really big challenge. Really big challenge. Anyway, hopefully they can manage it for half an hour or so while we talk about what happened on Match Day 13. Sydney is fresh back from Seville, where you witnessed the Seville Derby on Sunday afternoon, which finished Sevilla one, Betis one. More on that in just a moment. Friday night game was absolutely sensational. It finished Athletic Club 4, Celta Vigo 3. Loads for us to talk about from this game. And we usually forget to discuss the Friday game, but we're not going to today because it was such a uh, incredible spectacle. Then on Saturday, speaking of incredible spectacles, Sydney and I were both at the Estadio de Vallecas to see Girona come from a goal down to beat Raya Vallecano by two goals to one. Fifth time they've come from behind to win this season, Girona. They are two points clear at the top of the table with a third of the season gone. Third of the season gone and Almeria still haven't won a match. They are bottom of the table beaten 3-1 at home By Real Sociedad, Getafe went to Granada and took 500 away fans, Sydney, to Granada. It was incredible. I've never seen such a a blue wave, a blue wall of travelling Getafe support. Uh, saw their team claim a 1-1 draw. Uh, Osasuna and Las Palmas also finished 1-1. A terrific first ever goal in La Liga for Alberto uh, Moleiro. Watch out for him. He is the uh, next hot young thing straight out of Las Palmas. Uh, I think a few big clubs around Europe already keeping their eyes on him. And then Real Madrid beat Valencia by five goals to one at the Estadio Santiago Bernabeu. No Jude Bellingham, no problem. Last week it had been no Bellingham, no party. This week it was no Bellingham, no problem for Real Madrid. Uh, Sunday there were only three games because Mallorca Cadet was postponed. Uh, Barca toiling a really unconvincing 2-1 win at home to Alaves having to come from behind they conceded after 18 seconds Sevilla and Betis finished 1-1 and Atleti also came from behind to beat Villarreal 3-1 a 17th consecutive home win in all competitions for Diego Simeone's men. If you're enjoying TSFP why not become a patron? You get a Q&A pod every Tuesday, a bonus podcast Every Thursday or Friday, that's during the season, you get an episode of TSFP Presents or Rincon Cultural twice a month, you get Al's paper reviews, you get access to the TSFP Discord, and it's all around €4 a month. Join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Sign up for a year, you get 10% off. So Sid, um, we should start talking about the Seville Derby just because it's the Seville Derby and you went to it, but it wasn't a great game at all, was it?
0: No. Um, it was intense and it was sort of enjoyable at times and Sevilla's response was was reasonable in the second half and it but it was a response based on throwing things forward in, and based on trying to get the ball wide and get crosses in there wasn't a huge amount of technical quality there was a real sense I felt that that Sevilla don't actually know what they want to do. Don't know what they want to how they want to play. Uh, how they want to create chances. There isn't creativity, there isn't imagination, there isn't a huge amount of technique with the exception of, of Ivan Rakitic. It's not really there. Um, I saw an amazing statistic, 37, uh, 37 crosses in this game from Sevilla, <laughs> which only three found their target. And I think that, in a way, wow. tells you everything you need to know about about Sevilla. And, and that, that really kind of sums it up. On the other side, I think Betis... Um, will feel in fact do feel um, to, to judge by what the players were saying yesterday and Ayose Perez was was talking about this in particular that they didn't create they didn't take the chances that they created that they really should have won this that if they didn't win this then you start looking and thinking wow when are we ever going to win a derby because they were um, significantly better. Both Fayose and, and, and Isco played extremely well. Um, they missed a couple of those two actually had a couple of good chances each. Iose scores. He also hits the post. He also has a one ruled out for for offside. Um, there's an Isco header right at the very very start that he should score. There's an Isco pass for Midanda which he really should score from very close range. Um, and, and Betis were without doubt the better side. I think in a way we saw, and and I. You know, We were kind of saying this before the game, weren't we? That that cliche of, well, the form book goes out the window, it's a derby and none of that counts. All of that does count. It's not to say it guarantees anything, but it does count. Mm. And actually what we saw, I think, was the reality of these two teams in terms of the way the game went. Now, obviously, not in terms of the final result because a draw is not a terrible result for either team. It's not particularly good for Betis. It's not particularly good for Sevilla, but it's not bad considering the way that they came into this. Um, and, And they look really... Really limited Sevilla. Interestingly, post-game, Dmitrovic, um was asked about the response from Sevilla in the second half. And rather than offering up an, a discourse that says, well, yeah, that was good. We, we, you know, we came back at them. We, we showed that we weren't going to lie down. We showed that we weren't going to let ourselves be beaten. He said, well, yeah, but we responded after they scored. We need that from mm. the start. That's no good. And, mm. uh, and I think that's quite telling.
1: I thought Sevilla were desperately disappointing throughout the whole game. Really, um, maybe seeing them in the stadium, you you, you yeah, a bit you're closer to them. Yeah, or, and you have a sense yeah. of
0: uh, maybe the dynamism. Even if even if you don't see the creativity, mm. I just thought they were desperately lacking in ideas.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, unlike unlike Betis, who really should have uh, ha- had this game out of sight. That that Isco header after 40 seconds is five yards out. He really has to score. We'll forgive him because he did put in another uh, man of the match performance. He started all 13 games for Betis this season in the league. And he's been MVP, man of the match, in eight of them. His renaissance has been really quite extraordinary. I don't think any of us saw this coming. Remember, this is a player who, between November 2022 and August 2023, did not play a single second of competitive football, single second of football, he didn't play at all. Um, it's really quite extraordinary what he's achieved. He's played a thousand and eighty-nine minutes already this season mm. in the league, which is more than he's played in any uh, of the last three seasons um, yeah. put together. Uh, and he is being—he's being decisive. His stats aren't mind blowing cuz it's only two two goals and two assists i think in those 13 games but it's not just that um, he's 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 playing more key passes than anyone else more through balls he's got the fourth highest number of dribbles in la liga the most passes in the attacking third uh, in the whole of the division um, he's a he's a footballer completely reborn think about where he was 18 months ago and I've, i don't know if we said it on the podcast i certainly felt like He was finished, genuinely finished, physically and mentally. He did not look like a footballer anymore. And he has proved us all wrong. The physical, um, I don't want to say metamorphosis, but coming back from being really quite badly out of shape to being slim, strong and in the best physical shape maybe of his life has been really quite extraordinary. So all credit to Isco for another man of the match performance and just turning things around in a way that I did not envisage possible.
0: No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned there, by the way, the, the the fact that the actual, the kind of the headline stats are not that amazing. Was it mm. two assists and, and, and two goals? And I was very conscious of this watching him yesterday um, and watching him from pitch side, from close up. And I was conscious of trying not to allow myself to be drawn into saying, wow, he's amazing, because of things that were ultimately unproductive.
1: Right. If you see what I mean. Yes, yes. So I
0: was watching him and in in, in this... Very, very frantic game in which no one seemed to have the ball for any amount of time, apart from, as I say, I was was the one other hmm. example, I think. That no one seemed to have the ball for any time. There was something about watching him do even simple things that was glorious. You know, the, the smoothness, the, the, the way he would kind of glide with the ball, the way he, he wanted it, that he kept it, that it was at his feet for much, much longer than it was at anyone else's feet. He was producing good passes in, in simple areas of passages of play and really good passes in more difficult passages of play. He was involved in everything. And, and I was really kind of thinking, you know, don't allow yourself to be drawn into the, the purely aesthetic Because, of course, this is a guy that at Real Madrid, even in his bad times, he would come on and do two or three things that that were technically wonderful. And you think, yeah, but really and truly, has he influenced this game that much? We always thought he slowed the
1: play down, didn't we?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and yet with this, it feels different. I think partly it's because, of course, what Betis have done with Pellegrini, because it's the nature of the way he plays, is they have effectively created... A number 10 position, which a lot mm. of teams he's played in haven't really had that. Now, not entirely a number 10. It's not quite that, but it's a freedom of movement across the midfield and the forward line. Um, quite close to the forwards when, when he wants to be. But if he wants to go back and get the ball and get the play going, he can do that as well. He's combining pretty well with Ayose. Um, There's slightly left, less less going from the other side of the pitch from, from Betis yesterday. But, of course, that may well change when when Fakir is back. It may well change when 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 they get... For example, Luis Enrique playing a bit more often. He's had a couple of injuries this year. Um, But it was... It was really, really good to watch him play and to watch him up close, and just think, yeah, he's—he just looks like a better footballer than other people. And in a way, that's the simple eye test: is that guy's good, isn't he? Like, and that guy is good. Hmm. <laughs> guy is good. Yeah, no,
1: literally, yeah, literally, that guy is good. Um, and it's great to see him back. Really is um, unexpected as well. Uh, listen, we're going to move on because we want to pack in as much as possible. If there's something that we didn't mention, send us a question and we'll answer it. Real Madrid five, Valencia one. Um, the question was. How were Real Madrid going to score without Jude Bellingham? And in the two games uh, since he got injured, uh, they've racked up eight goals. Uh, Five against Valencia, three against uh, Braga, Vinicius and Rodrigo scoring the majority of uh, those goals. Tell us about your theory, Sid, again,
0: (laughs) that Vinicius and Rodrigo
1: (laughs) might be more comfortable without Jude Bellingham.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the risk of kind of going into classic uh, sort of Spanish radio debate time territory here, God, oh, Bellingham misses two games, we score a load of goals, let's talk about the theory. I, I mean, there is, I think there, there, there is a degree of merit to the idea, not that I'm trying to merit my own ideas, but, you know, the degree of merit to the idea that that maybe there's a degree of freedom to them, but I think it's more about the kind of team they're up against, I think it's more, but, but I do think the structure is is interesting because it's slightly different. Now, that said... I don't think it's it's quite as clear cut as that, because of course what we've seen in the last few weeks is that Bellingham is playing slightly more to the left anyway. Mm. So it's not necessarily that he's the false nine. So these two have had a degree of freedom of movement, not just not just when Bellingham's not there. Um Brahim played slightly more to the left. I would say possibly even more to the left than, than Bellingham has done, but Bellingham has started to play there a little bit recently. I think this was the, was kind of the perfect game for the but it's it's a kind of it is a tempting idea that sort of floats in the air a little bit about whether these two kind of explode a bit more without him whether the nature of the game is is slightly different whether they whether madrid are maybe a little bit more direct without bellingham maybe they don't play through him as much i don't know um but it's it's it, it's kind of an idea to throw out there and of course if if only if only not so much to talk about Bellinger, who's been absolutely brilliant this year. And, and certainly it would be total madness. And even I'm not stupid enough to say, look, you see. Um, but I, I think it's it's quite interesting if, if only to remind us that, that football is a collective sport and there are all sorts of different elements. And the absence of the guy that's doing everything doesn't mean that everything else is absent and doesn't mean that everything else collapses. And it may mean that other things function in a different way, if only... On a couple of occasions Because that's the other thing We, You know The sample size here Is only two matches
1: hmm. Valencia had chances In this game In the first half Andre Lunin Making um, well, some I mean, clear honestly, saves From Hugo Duro, Who could have maybe Had a hat-trick In the first half
0: a- Absolutely He could have had a hat-trick In fact he probably should hmm. Have had a hat-trick um, You know I, 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 I feel like a fool Even saying this Because you know The final score was 5-1 But the expected goals, Valencia outscored Real Madrid on on expected goals. Um, Now, there is all sorts of reasons why expected goals don't explain everything, but they are fundamentally a basic criteria. Now, obviously, you can argue about the way that the numbers are constructed and what they judge as an expected goal and so on. But the numbers are basically a a very simple way of saying, who should have scored more goals? (laughs) Valencia should have done. It doesn't quite work like that but there, there is something in it and, and actually had they taken those chances maybe this maybe this is a different game they then collapsed pretty badly second half Valencia um, um, but for what it's worth by the way both Vinicius and Rodrigo it's not just that they had a good game and scored goals each I thought they were both phenomenal hmm. in this game I, I thought it was a genuinely off the scale performance from both of them I thought they were genuinely brilliant
1: I don't know if some people are being a little bit opportunistic here, but there are um, calls, potentially, for Andre Lunin to uh, replace Kepa, uh, given that he saved a penalty and then made these saves against uh, uh, Valencia. Some people are suggesting that he's actually a better goalkeeper than Kepa. Where do you stand on that?
0: Well, I mean, you say it's opportunistic, I suppose. It's no more opportunistic than the, than the ludicrous theory I threw out there at the start. So, Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, I mean, I... I I think that it would, it would contradict very clearly what Real Madrid very clearly believe. Because if Real Madrid did not think that they had a problem with Loonin, they would not have immediately gone out and signed Kepa. However much at the time they tried to say to us, no, no, it's two very good goalkeepers. Um, if you genuinely think Loonin is a really good goalkeeper, maybe you don't get Kepper. Maybe you think about who, who your number two is and you make Lunin the number one. I think it was very clear that they, they, they weren't that sure. I, to be honest with you, would have agreed with them. Um, and I think his performances have been pretty good since, as you say, the penalty save. I'm reluctant to go down the route of saying, look, a goalie's good because he makes a penalty save. Lunin, I suppose a little bit like Kepper, doesn't dominate the area like Courtois. I think one of the things we've seen with Kepper this year is I don't think we've looked at Kepper and gone, that's bad, that's bad or that's bad. I think what we've seen is some really good saves from him, by the way. And I, I think it's bizarre that we, we now seem to be acting as if we haven't seen, not, not we, me and you, but people in general seem to be acting as if they hadn't seen those saves. But it is true, I think, that he's a goalkeeper who stays on his line, hmm. Kepper, for the most part. Um, and doesn't come and win very many crosses. But I think he's made some pretty key saves as well. So put it this way, short answer is, who would you play the next time they're both fit? The answer is Kepa.
1: I agree. Uh, let's move on and talk about the best team in Spain, who are still top of the table. Uh, Girona beating Raya by two goals to one. We were uh, watching this game together. Well, sat together in the uh, in the second half, and I think you came up to me and you said, "Wow, Girona, are a properly good team, aren't they?" And that's um, that's yeah. just a, that's that's the assessment I think after watching them uh, in the flesh like this and and seeing the way that they construct their play, the way that they get in the box so much, but it's also. It's where they are in the box as well. They attack down the flanks so much. They put in more crosses than any other team uh, in La Liga. They score more goals from crosses than any other team uh, in La Liga. They're really, really well organised. They know exactly where they're supposed to be putting the ball. And it's a really impressive unit. Um, Michel, who got a lovely, lovely, lovely welcome back uh, going back to Rayo. If you didn't know, the manager of uh, Girona uh, played for Raya Vallecano for 16 years. He's from... Vallecas. He was a former manager as well, and it's fair to say he's one of the most uh, loved people to have ever played for uh, Rayo. They were very, very, very pleased to see him back. Obviously, they wanted him to lose, but I've never seen uh, home fans making a sort of uh, TIFO uh, for the opposing manager. Maybe it's happened before. I've never seen it, but there was, uh, before the game, uh, a TIFO or some placards held up, uh, welcoming Michel back to his uh, barrio. And um, yeah, Rayo contributed to the game, I thought. You like yeah, they it? did. They really they're just really good, right? I heard
0: you Yeah, they really are. Um, and as you say, you know, I came up to you and said, wow, they're, they're, they're very good. I, I think one thing I'd, I kind of... I'd, a good way of starting this, I guess, is to pick up on one of those stats that you mentioned, the, the the team with the most goals from crosses. And as we were talking about this on Saturday in the stadium as well, I, I think, I, think I, I feel like I have the need to define the word crosses here. Because I think one of the risks is that sometimes you go, most goals from crosses. And what you imagine... It's a guy out way well out on the wing swinging in this high ball and a really big centre forward jumping up in the air and nodding it in the net. You know, you imagine an Osasuna style thing. You imagine, I don't know, what Getafe do or something like that. The word cross here refers to a player right near the edge of the penalty area normally, usually at the via line, putting it back along the floor. For someone else to finish from inside the six-yard box, almost invariably. a kind of, it feels like they're a team that walk the ball in. It feels like they're a team who don't take lots of shots because they don't need to. Because they don't take that shot until the goal is there until you can't miss it anymore. The technical quality in tight spaces in and around the area is really, really striking. The number of players they get into the area is really striking. As you say, they work the ball really, really well on the wings. And one of the things that I think is interesting is, and we saw this a lot at the weekend, how often we see, now I'm going to try and explain this without tying myself in knots, two people on the same wing in a kind of horizontal position, by which I mean... The, the wider of the two players plays it to the other player who is still theoretically wide or is is on the edge of the box. And so they're kind of moving the ball into the box in stages, if you sort of I mean. So the wide guy isn't putting it in the box for the guy in the middle. He's playing into the box through another guy and quite often going for the return and being in the box himself. And they're combining within the penalty area. And they're then finding the striker or the guy coming from the other wing arriving at the far post or arriving in the 6 yard box, this isn't a team that opens it wide and then slings it in the box. It's a team that carries it to the box and then pushes it into the box for the shot. And that was really, really noticeable at the weekend against a very good Rio side, who, by the way, I thought, you know, this is a proper good game between two really good, fun teams to watch. And, and, and Girona are not there by chance. They are the best team in Spain this season. They have won, since the opening day of the season, they've won every game except one, which is the defeat against Real Madrid. And although they got beaten 3-0, you look back on that, the start of that game was really strong from Girona, really strong. They've come back, as you've mentioned it, five times this season. I think it's three of the last four games they've come from behind to win. But none of these have been epic comebacks. Mm. These have all been the simple application of logic of a really good team, creating chances of going, there's the goal, there's the goal, and there's the goal it's done. And it's really, really striking how clear the identity is, um, how many players are getting involved in the way they move, how the fullbacks are tucking inside and adding to midfield, how the central defenders are carrying the ball out if they need to. All around the pitch, they are really, really good. And obviously, the magic word has been mentioned quite a lot over the last couple of weeks, and that magic word is Leicester.
1: The L word, yeah. <laughs> i mean it is it's and and to give it its you know um correct Spanish pronunciation yeah. lay <laughs> sister getting talked about quite sure. a lot on uh, on spanish radio and, and t v and people are beginning to to suggest, well, why not why not and Michel himself has changed now from the discourse of um we're yeah. just we're just trying to get to forty points and secure uh, secure um avoid relegation, and he's um <clears throat> suggesting that they can dream
0: mm. Yeah. he said he said after the game uh, he said he said look w- our aim now has to have the stabil- has to be to have the stability in the second third of the season because obviously as you've already mentioned this is that if you like the the kind of the watershed moment for the first third of the season have the stability in the second third of the season so that when we go into the final third of the season we can compete for a european place mm. now I'll be honest with you i think a european place is not far off guaranteed now because i think the collapse would have to be so complete now Because the teams that you would normally be competing against for a European place... Now, I'm not saying that because you would normally be competing with them, you can rule out other teams that might also be in there. But you would expect to challenge from Villarreal. The way they are, you're not getting it. You would expect to challenge from Sevilla. The way they are, you're not getting it. For that final Champions League place, it's you or Real Sociedad at the moment. Now, that's not to say that Betis can't get into that. Maybe they can. But there you go. Real Sociedad, Betis and Athletic and Girona. That's four teams. And then the normal three. I think there are seven teams who are obviously better than everyone else. And I think Girona at the moment are the best of them. Now, they might not be the best of them all season because they are playing really well. And you do look at them and think, OK, what happens on the days when they don't play well? Will they continue to perform like this? Will, or to, at least continue to get results like this? So on the days when they don't perform, will they get results? Do they have the individual quality to basically to fluke a goal out of nowhere?
1: Mm.
0: Or to, you know, to, to, to score a goal that, that wasn't coming? To resist against a team that's, that's attacking them? That, I think, is yet to be fully tested. Um, we haven't really seen it. I think you can also look at the fixtures and say, correct me if I'm wrong, but the final five games of the first half of the season, in other words, that point at which you've played everyone, are still to include Barca, uh, Betis, Atletico, and maybe even Athletic. I
1: think uh, Athletic is so, their next game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. so I think so I think it's so I think it's it is tough, right? And you've got four four tough teams to come. But I think the, I think the, the the objective has to change. And Ancelotti said something that you know it's no different from anything we've said, but because Ancelotti said it, let's repeat it. Mm. Ancelotti said, you have to take into account that they don't have European football to play. Mm. Every game has a seven-day run-in, apart Mm. from the two or three fixtures there are left in midweek. Every game has a seven-day run-in. And I think that maybe mitigates the risks of injuries, suspensions, and a relatively short squad catching up with them. Um, and, And I think... I think they're
1: in a good place. Girona. This is only their fourth ever season in La Liga. I think it's worth mentioning that they only played their first season in 2017-2018. This is not a team with a long history of top flight football. Um, Their main uh, striker this season, Artem Dovbik, who's got seven goals and four assists, has been a really really good signing. He was signed for seven and a half million euros. That's their record their record signing. So just to give yeah, I mean, I mean, we
0: should we. We should, we should here obviously mention the very large elephant in the room, although it's not an elephant in the room because everyone keeps mentioning it, which of course is that they are 44.3% owned by Manchester City. Now, this this does mean, and I've noticed this a lot and I know that you have as well, that whenever you mention, Your Honour, whenever you sort of feel enthusiastic about them, and partly because Mitchell is such a likeable man and you've mentioned the reception he got the weekend, which was wonderful and I think says a lot about him and also a lot about Rayo. Um, whenever you sort of mention them, you get this. Well, yeah, but it's city, isn't it? There's no romance there, and I would accept that up to a point because I think what city does is it gives them stability, it gives them resources, it gives them know-how as well, actually, because there is a degree of kind of if you like, um, I suppose you could call it ideological support, couldn't you, or or, or, or ideas anyway, and, and structural ideas and so on, and it gives them a degree of um, financial muscle. But I don't think I, I don't think we should. Overstate it. If what we're doing, forget the moral argument for a minute. If what we're doing is judging what they're doing as a football team, right? So you look at their squad, and only three of their first team squad actually belong to the City Group. Is it uh, three? Herrera, Savign- no, Herrera doesn't. Herrera,
1: Herrera doesn't. They bought yeah. him this season.
0: Ah, oh, they bought him now, but he did. Okay, so yeah. even even he doesn't, right? So Jan Couto Herrera, who they just bought, and Savinio. Savign- yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've they've got. I think it's eight teams or seven teams have got smaller budgets than them. Only seven in the whole league. So in other words, what's that? 12 or 13 have got, got more, more budget than they have. You go through this quarter, as you mentioned, Dovic, 7.5 million. Sickenkoff was playing in, in, in Ukraine. Now, obviously, that's not to say that Ukraine's rubbish, but he'd not played in one of Europe's big leagues. Gasen wasn't a regular at Fulham, who were playing in the second division at the time. Garcia, Barcelona didn't want him. Um, Bayern and actually weren't keen on Dali Blind anymore. Miguel Gutiérrez is a kid from Real Madrid's youth system on loan. Savinho had been, been relegated from the PSV first team to the B team because the coaches didn't like him. Uh, Ivan Martin had been at Alaves and suffered relegation when he joined them. Alex Garcia Where was Alex was, Garcia? Was yeah, Alex Romania. Garcia was in Belgium, in Romania, and then went down with Abar So, you know, this isn't a team full of kind of... The next generation of amazing Man City kids. This isn't like Hmm. Phil Foden a year before he gets in the Man City first team. Yeah, this isn't a cast. This isn't like City saying, "Well, you know, Julian Alvarez not playing very much for us, so let him go and play for City." Now, with that, I don't want to diminish the significance of the City role, but I do think we we shouldn't be exaggerating it. No,
1: I think so. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, It has to be mentioned, put into the correct context, uh, which uh, I think that we've done. Um, Let's move on. Uh, because we've still got to talk about Barcelona, and they're really—I um, don't know—I don't know how to describe their first half performance, apart from Awful. it being very, very bad. And they should have been four-nil down to Alaves. I think yeah. that, that, that 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 gives you an idea of just how poor they were. Um, they conceded after 18 seconds, and they kicked off as well. Yeah, HM I love that. Just gives yeah, you an idea. So how, how, well, the thing how is, how right? They, they were.
0: kicked off. They kicked off against Granada when they conceded after 17 seconds. It's true. It's true. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's amazing, really. Pedri was back.
1: Uh, he started the uh, started the game, but wasn't able to really get the uh, the play flowing for uh, for Barcelona. And afterwards, Xavi decided to put the blame or part of the blame on the media, who said they were he said they were too negative and putting too much pressure on the players, and they felt that pressure. Um, Seems yeah. a bit unfair yeah, now, from Chavy. <laughs> I
0: mean, the temptation is to start with this and just sort of start with an apology. Sorry, folks, if you're a Barcelona fan. If you're a Madrid fan, by the way, uh, you can add to your Patreon subscription if you want to, uh, to thank us for our, our sterling work in, in sinking Barcelona. Now, for what it's worth, I think he... <laughs> I think Chavi's not entirely wrong. And let me explain what I mean by that. Because he didn't actually say, it's your fault. Although he wasn't very far off. He wasn't very far off. But he did say, look, this... Because uh, to put this into context, he said this in f- to a Catalan media and then went into the press conference and someone picked up on it and said, hang on, do you seriously think that what's said in the media affects the players? you seriously think this is, this is a key? And he said, yes, absolutely. Now, I would agree with him, by the way. I think the noise, I think the pressure of the media, I think the exaggeration, I think that everything that goes around it is, is part of of the issue at a club like Barcelona. But the point is that the answer, the words I've just used are at a club like Barcelona. This is what happens at Barcelona. It's what happens at Real Madrid. It's what happens at big clubs. Now, you can argue about whether the entornos, the sort of surroundings at Madrid and Barcelona, are different, and they are, yeah. by the way. But if you're a player at elite level, this kind of comes with it. And, and if Xavi is telling the truth, and he's right that they're saying this is affecting us that's slightly problematic, and it's something that he needs to engage you with. Now, in fairness to him, he did say this. He said, look, I've been through this. It doesn't affect me. I've got used to it, but for some of these players, it's a problem. Well, in which case, this needs to be addressed in some way, or there needs to be a way around it, or, or, or maybe you need... <laughs> this is going to sound incredibly blunt and, and, and sort of uncaring in a way. Maybe you need players who aren't worried about what we hmm. say you know, maybe new different footballers because footballers at that level, yes, they're going to be affected by it. Yes, it's going to be on their minds. But the performances, you know, and, and, and actually we've had a week in which Chavi has said mental block. Then he said uh, football was not good enough. Now he's talking about this. The bottom line is, they're not playing very well, and as you mentioned in the last podcast, when you did that brilliant list of games from them recently, they're not playing well for a very long time. Thanks,
1: Sid. I mean, it was just literally reading out um, a list of results, but
0: and it was about two months worth of games. I mean, it was yeah. about ten or fifteen yeah, games yeah. And
1: since the uh, back-to-back 5 uh, 0 wins against Betis and and Antwerp. They have been poor. Um, before we go, we uh, need to uh, talk about uh, Athletic Four, Celta Vigo. Three, it was really quite an extraordinary game. Uh, Barry Aspas giving Celta the lead uh, midway through the first half with a sensational strike. Athletic leveled things up, then Celta took the lead again, and then Gorka Guruseta scored twice, just on either side of half-time. Athletic were three, two up, before uh, Barry Aspas played a beautiful ball to Strand Larsen to level it up for three, three. And then Barry misses a penalty. Goodness me, it would have been 4-3 to uh, Celta Vigo, but he missed. And then in the 96th minute Athletic Club got a um, penalty, which was dispatched by uh, Alex Berenguer, and they won 4-3. Celta's uh, run of bad luck continues. Bad luck in terms of uh, decisions not going their way late on in matches. But the, um, the stark reality is that they've got seven points from a possible 39, Sid which is um, really quite yeah. bad. They're in the relegation zone. They made a huge investment of bringing in Rafa Benitez on a very expensive three-year contract and they're in the relegation zone. Mm.
0: I, th- I think this game, funny enough, is, is sort of almost better for them than the other ones. I think it hurts a lot more, but I think the performance was was good enough. And a lot of the other games, they've they've clung on to the idea that performance wasn't bad, that they've been very unlucky and I'm going to run through the games for you in a minute because it's an extraordinary run. Um, but i think there's always been a little bit of me that has thought i don't really buy it this time i sort of did in that certainly the first half an hour or 40 minutes i thought was very very good indeed like this is their last three games against athletic one lap goes to 3-3, three. miss a penalty lose 4-3 with a penalty given with 4 seconds left the week before sevilla 1-1 one, one, get get a penalty with 5 seconds left to win it having been down for 10 men for about uh, 50 minutes, I think, and then have that penalty taken away. The week before that, have a goal ruled out ridiculously and then lose 1-0 in the 91st minute. This season, they've also been 1-0 up against Las Palmas, losing 2-1 with goals on 84 and 97, been 2-0 up with Barcelona with nine minutes to go and lost 3-2, lost 1-0 to Mallorca in the 85th minute, having had a goal disallowed, and against Real Madrid, they had a goal disallowed, and lost in the 81st minute, 1-0. So this is pretty dramatic, and I think it is possible for Celta to say, look, we've been desperately unlucky. A week ago, I was less indulgent of that idea than I am now, because this was pretty silly. Uh, and you, you know, you mentioned that there was um, Gorda Theta's goals at either side of half-time. It might be worth adding that the goal he gets before half-time is five minutes into additional time in (laughs) half-time. So that's the equivalent of the 95th minute, but just in the first half. (laughs) Um, And I do feel a bit sorry for Celta. And I do feel like this was a game where I started to think, you know what? If they hang on, if they can resist the pressure and everything that goes with it, and particularly because Barry scored, and I think that's possibly the thing that, that I really cling to, even though he then missed a penalty. If they can do that, at some point... There's a half-decent team waiting to appear.
1: Okay. Well, let's see if um, Rafa can get them out of their shells and uh, start winning some games because they absolutely desperately need to they
0: desperately do <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really do Yeah, they certainly do
1: um, that's it for today's edition of the uh, Spanish Football Podcast before we go uh, in the Segunda División leganesa six points clear at the top uh, after they beat Levante 2-1 uh, Sporting and the leader next both on 28 points uh, Espanyol drew 1-1 at Huesca and new coach Luis Miguel Ramis and Oviedo play Cartagena tonight this week we've got Spain against Cyprus on Thursday and Spain against Georgia on Sunday Uh, enjoy the week if you don't want to join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP that's fine not a problem we'll be back next Monday as ever but if you do want some more company come and join us patreon.com forward slash TSFP adios amigos
0: cheerio